Good morning from Grace Community Church. Uh, glad that you have uh, tuned in. A good Sunday morning it is. And uh, we are glad to be able to worship our God. That's what this is all about. And uh, we want to be able to get into His Word and uh, let Him speak to us through the Word and by His Spirit and so that we can learn better who He is. I have a question for you. Have you ever thought about if you would have lived during the days of the Bible times and you would have been a character in the Bible, your name would have been written in the Bible, what would you think of that? Well, you probably are thankful your name is not written in the Bible. Uh, if you appeared uh, in it, there's a good chance that you would be ashamed about something because most of the characters in Scripture uh, even though many of them are God's people, some of them are not, but uh, many are. At the same time, they have failures that they wouldn't want to be read by people throughout the ages. And I'm sure that we wouldn't want that either as people would be studying that. Peter was one who failed. Uh, he had a colossal failure, as a matter of fact. But you know, we've all failed the Lord. We know that. And uh, we hate it. But when you fail the Lord, even though it may not be a colossal fail like Peter's, or even, uh, you know, it's a lesser failure, I guess you could say, but you do feel guilty. Uh, you feel embarrassed and you feel depressed about it. You, you don't like to fail. You don't like to sin against God. It's maybe sometimes it could be a bad fall. And you often wonder if God will ever use you again. I'm sure that uh, many of us have been there in that kind of situation. But we thank the Lord that we have hope. Even despite the failures that we've had, we know what Scripture says. The Bible always offers hope. And, you know, as we look at the Bible, we say... We see that the Bible paints its heroes the way that they are, warts and all. And uh, sometimes you could almost say, well, it's too bad that maybe some of that stuff could have been left out. Or, you know, the Bible really doesn't airbrush the blemishes from the record. And we get to see people as they are, men and women in their struggles, in their temptations, and in their weaknesses, and in their failures. But we also see that God gives them recovery from their sins and the hope that they have because of His abundant grace. And we're here to proclaim that grace here today, aren't we? As we are every week all the time. Peter has to be one of the worst failures. To be a leader among the disciples, to boast that he would go to prison and even death with Christ, and then to deny that he even knew Christ and deny Him three times. That's a failure. That's not just an average, everyday kind of failure. This is big. And the, the fact that the Lord would restore Peter to ministry and use him on that day of Pentecost... Uh, and as he preached really the first sermon of the church and throughout the book of Acts for the first 11 chapters or so, we see him doing things that he could not have done before as he's filled with God's Spirit. 
and power as he delivers the gospel. He played a key role in the early days of the church. And uh, what a, a blessing it is to see a man like him uh, be restored to that. It's God's amazing grace and it gives us hope when we fail, when we fall. Uh, so we continue on our study now in the Gospel of Luke. We pick it up at the last Passover and there's a lot of evil things going on at that time. Uh, Jesus is giving His final instructions at the Passover and there's a lot of things He's able to teach the apostles just before He gets arrested. There's a lot of evil things going on though. We know the religious leaders have come together and have figured out a way to get this Jesus arrested and then killed by the Romans, crucified. Judas is going to be one that will help him. He's the betrayer. There's another evil thing that's going on as he even attended that Passover with the disciples. And then it's Satan trying to thwart the plan of salvation to see behind the scenes all the different evil, wicked things that are going on. And then, of all things, you see the disciples, which we talked about last week, were saying... Hey, I'm the greatest. They're arguing over who is the greatest. And uh, Jesus had to do another teaching on what greatness really is. It's serving and not having pride. And so we get to see that aspect even at a time that so much evil is being planned out. God's plan is working together for good. This is nothing that God is surprised by at all. He permits sin. He even decrees it. It's in the grand design of redemption. The grandest sin of all times was killing Christ. But yet we know that it was the plan of God for that to happen. If it wasn't His plan, then we wouldn't be redeemed. And we'd be left in our sins and uh, we would be in death and in hell. Now, see, God uses Satan as a pawn. A pawn to bring forth His purpose, His plan. And that is what God is doing. He's sovereign. He's in control. Everything is going down the way that God has planned it. Men are responsible for their sin. God is not responsible for their sin. But yet His plan is there. Figure that one out. Look in Proverbs 16.4. It says, The Lord has made all things for Himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of evil. Amos chapter 3, verse 6. If there's a calamity in the city, will not the Lord have done it? Isaiah 45.7 I am the Lord, there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness. Causing well-being and creating calamity. There you go. A sovereign God, totally in control. God allows evil. God ordains evil into the plan without being responsible so that His glory can be on full display even when there's a great black backdrop behind Him. The glory of God in its brilliance is on display. And it is here today as we look at Christ permitting Satan to sift Peter like wheat. And that happened. But it's good that it happened. And we see that Christ prays for him that his faith did not fail. 
That's the title of our message today out of Luke 22, 31-34, that your faith may not fail. Let's read that text. It says in Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Let's pray. Father, great holy God, you are awesome indeed. And as your plan goes about the way that you intended it, we are in amazement. We marvel at it. Thank you for your word of truth. And as we learn a little bit more about your sovereign plan and your way of keeping your people in the faith, even when it doesn't even seem like it, we are amazed at you. And as we let you teach us out of your word, Lord, may we learn better who you are. So we start off with a word of warning. A word of warning says Simon, Simon, we'll stop there. We know him better as Peter. Of course, we've heard Peter most of the time, but we also know that really his Hebrew name is Simon. Jesus renamed him Peter, but Jesus really didn't use the name Peter until really the text that we're in today. He only used it once after he renamed him. He, he doesn't call him Peter. He always calls him Simon. It's usually when Simon has done something that was not right, said something that was not right, and he calls him Simon. And here he says in 34, I say to you, Peter. So there is the instance where he uses that. It, it, the Greek means rock, Petra, rock. And so Jesus is saying Simon, Simon. He emphasizes Simon. That's a reminder of Simon's old self when he mentions the name Simon. And then he says, Behold. Behold is like a warning. It's an exclamation point. Listen to this. Check this out. Attention. So Simon, Simon, attention. Hear this. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. I guess that would get your attention. He needs to pay attention to what Christ is saying. Demanded is exateo, and it means to ask, to ask strongly, to demand, to ask strongly. Satan really wants to go after Peter and all of the disciples, actually. Wants to go after them. Now, Peter, especially because he's the leader of this group. And he's such a main character in the very, very early days of the church. So he says, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. To sift. Siniadzo. Uh, you think of wheat and chaff together. Put in a, a flat basket. You shake it violently. You shake it vigorously. And then you throw it 
up into the air and the chaff blows away and what's true is the wheat that is left. And so then that head of grain is taken apart. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to take Peter and the apostles apart. Wants to take them down. Leave them in pieces. So we see what's to sift you like wheat. And he says the word you. Here, in this particular word, it is saying in verse uh, 31, uh, you is y'all. And here in Missouri, we're familiar with that, y'all. Uh, people up in Michigan, for instance, are saying, what? What's that? Y'all? So I guess we're in the South in a way. Especially in the South, they say that. But it's a plural for more than just you as one person. So Jesus is speaking at this moment to not only Peter or Simon, but the rest of the disciples. They're right there. They're at the Passover. They still haven't left the upper room yet, really. So, um, Matthew 26, verse 31, uh, Jesus repeats the same warning in the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're at the upper room now, but he will later say this, and it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. You will all fall away because of me this night. They will all fall away. They will abandon him. Just like sheep scattered, as prophesied, Satan's goal is to keep Jesus from the cross. The cross is where our redemption price is paid by Christ. Uh, he certainly doesn't want us to be saved. It's a grand plan of God, the redemption plan. And if he can get the disciples to abandon Christ, there would be no one to proclaim the gospel. And so therefore, there would be no reason for the crucifixion if there's no one proclaiming this gospel, the death, burial, resurrection. The disciples have been trained for three years, and now if they abandon Jesus, there's nobody left, what would God do? Well, God is not taken by surprise. His plan is going to work perfectly. But Satan has a plan too, and he's trying everything that he can. So he comes up to Jesus, and he says, uh, Hey, I would like to take Peter and the rest of the disciples and just sift them like wheat, to tear them apart. And, you know, it's, and it's like, of course, they've been saying how great they are and such. Jesus, you would think, would say, Yeah, go. I'll tell you what. You're asking permission, I understand, but no, you can't do that. No way. No way that's going to happen. Jesus is in control here, right? He's much bigger than Satan. Satan is just a created being that God uses. He's a pawn. Well, actually, Jesus doesn't say no way. He's actually saying, go for it. Go sift them like wheat. And they all did run. Peter denied the Lord. We know that. And Jesus is saying here, I, uh, I let him do it. I gave him permission to do this. This is going to happen just within the next, uh, what, couple of hours or so. Very shortly. God overrules Satan. Satan thinks he's going to win. Especially when he does this to Peter. The point is, is that behind the scenes there's a very evil spiritual enemy who 
is trying to destroy God's people. He is destruction. Often we forget. Satan, we forget what he does, and he likes that when we kind of forget about him. You see, he's the one that brought sin into the world to Adam and Eve, isn't he? He's the one who is the roaring lion that even Peter talks about. The one that we're talking about here today. He writes an epistle and talks about he is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, to tear up, to eat, to devour the God's, God's people. Je- uh, Jesus calls him the ruler of this world in John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11. Uh, he's called a murderer. He's called a, a father of lies in John 8.44. Uh, he said that this wicked being snatches the seed of the gospel from hearts that they may not believe. And also, Paul calls him the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So, quite a formidable enemy. J.C. Ryle states this, The world is a snare to the believer. The flesh is a burden and a clog. But there is no enemy so dangerous as that restless, invisible, experienced enemy, the devil. Well said, J.C. Ryle. Well, the picture that we have here of Satan asking permission from God to be able to do something that would be very disastrous, that could be so horrible, is we see the picture in Job 1. Job, a righteous man, blessed with a big family, a wife, great place to live. Satan takes about everything away from Job except his life. Job's health is totally destroyed. And he was at a point that he wished he wasn't even living. But he never did break despite all the calamities that happened to him and his family. And we see at the end of chapter 42, he says, I'd heard of God with the hearing of ministry. Uh, It was all superficial. And now I see Him I've seen God in my pain. I've seen God in my trial like I never saw Him before. And I repent in dust and ashes. That was the view that Job got of God after all this was done. It was for His good. It is to the extreme. But God caused this to happen. His faith never failed. Just as He's telling Peter here, your faith may not fail. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Zechariah Zechariah had a vision the book of Zechariah. There was a throne of God coming before that throne of God was Satan. You have the angel of the Lord which is the pre-incarnate Christ. You have Joshua the high priest. Joshua standing there as a representative of the nation of Israel as the high priest is there and uh, on, on one hand is the angel of the Lord, which is Christ pre-incarnate, and also we have Satan. Satan is telling God to damn Joshua, which is in essence damning Israel, the nation. 
You see, Joshua had dirty garments on representing sin for him, representing sin for the nation. They were a wicked nation. They were evil. And so Satan says, hey, listen, I can do some damage to them. You want me to do that? I'd be glad to do that. Um, the thing is, is that God takes the filthy garments off of Zechariah, or uh, not Zechariah, but Joshua the high priest, takes them off, puts on beautiful garments, puts on a be- beautiful turban on his head, and covers him with his righteousness. And that is what it's about. We, who are Christians, have the robes of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, not ours, but Christ's righteousness. Well, that's the first part, the first verse in this section. Let's go to the second one. It's the prayer of intercession. Verse 32 says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Let me tell you, when Jesus prays, He will be answered. Every time Jesus prays, the Father's will. Doesn't that make sense? That's why He was here, to do the Father's will. That's how He prayed. He gets His prayers answered every time. And that's great for us because even though it doesn't seem like we get our prayers answered, who's helping us? Who's praying for us? Jesus is. It says in Hebrews 7.25, He ever lives to make intercession. You see, Christ is alive. He's alive today and He's making intercession right now for us. Even though there's a personal evil of just incalculable power, the enemy of our souls, and yet we have Jesus who is much more powerful than the enemy. In Romans 8.34, Paul says, Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Well, you know, something else? Not only is Christ interceding for us, but the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. He's praying for us. Romans 8.26 The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He knows exactly how those prayers need to be and He has great access right to where the Father is at. His prayers will always be answered. Even when we can be hindered in our prayers, we can be discouraged in our prayers, and we can't even get our prayers past the ceiling. We don't even know what to say. All we can do is just say some words or not any words, and the Holy Spirit comes in, intercedes for us. Jesus' prayers, Holy Spirit's prayers, are effectual. That means they're answered. Always. And they're powerful. He can call down a legion of angels if He wants to to surround His people. He can call on the help of God the Father and nothing in this universe can touch His people. Ultimately. In John 17.15, the great intercessory prayer, what a prayer to get in on. We have the blessing and the privilege of being able to read the prayer 
that night before he was crucified as he starts off with, Father, restore unto me the glory that I had. Wow. And then he prays for the disciples and prays for future believers like us. And he says in John 17, 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one, so that they would not be damaged or destroyed, but where as Jesus prays for them, that they will be sustained and that their faith would remain true. And it will. That word there for fail, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That was what his prayer was about. That he knows that there's going to be the uh, Satan coming to sift Peter. An overwhelming situation. But when Satan attacks, what does he attack? He attacks faith. Because faith is what links us with Christ and all the benefits of salvation. It's the very lifeline that is thrown out to us, in a sense. And He grants that to us. It's faith that is granted. Repentance is granted. He gives it to us. If the enemy could sever our faith and cut it off, he has cut the connection by which we lay hold of God's grace and God's power. Uh, it says in Hebrews 11, uh, 6, I believe it is, without faith, it is impossible to please God. If we don't have faith, then God is not pleased. We are outside of God's will. We would be unbelievers if we did not have faith, obviously. So, faith is so important and it will not fail. As we walk in our Christian lives, we need the armor. And Paul said in Ephesians 6.16, he talked about the shield of faith. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. The armor of God. And he says, take up the shield of faith. Believing, trusting in Him. Our faith cannot be broken. Cannot be severed. And that's what this lesson here is about uh, as we get it from Luke uh, about what happens to Simon. God will keep you from that final fall or that final fail. We fail. Uh, sometimes we feel real weak in our faith. Very, very weak. Sometimes we have doubts. But see, God uses failure to teach us, to teach us things sometimes we, we could never ever learn in any other way. You see, by nature, just like Simon, we have pride and too much confidence in our flesh. Constantly, God has to beat that confidence out of us if we're trusting in ourselves. We fall. We fail. That's when we start to realize how weak we really are. And that's really where God wants us. He wants us to know that we're weak, totally dependent upon Him. To totally trust in the strength of the Lord. That's what Christ wants 
And Peter at this time, even though he believes Jesus for sure, he's still trusting in his own flesh. But you would wonder, why would God allow this to happen to Peter? To be done in such a way in that he permits Satan to do this. Well, we get this right here. He says, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That is the good that comes out of this. Turning from sin. This is repentance. It's turning from sin, turning to God. And he says it when he repents, when he turns again. Not if you turn again, but when you turn again, then restore your brothers. He assigns a ministry, Jesus does. Even when he's telling them, hey, Peter or Simon, you are going to be sifted like wheat, but I prayed for you, and your faith is not going to fail. And when you repented, strengthen your brothers. You know, he could do that ministry much better now after he has gone through this situation when that happens. He'll be much more tender. He will be without pride in the sense that, that he had. And he later wrote in his epistle that we are to be humble. You see that quite often in his letters that he wrote. Before we fall, we often look down on others. People that seem to be less than us, and we look down. We're better than them, and we are proudly thinking that we are somehow more together than they are. You see, God uses our failures to make us more sympathetic and more compassionate. He is breaking us down to be like Christ. To be compassionate. You know, Paul instructs us in uh, Galatians chapter 6, says when we have first looked at ourselves, check our own selves out, examine ourselves, then go restore our brother. Unless we too be tempted, we must First of all, check ourselves out. But then when we have, then go and restore someone. Build them up. Or it's like it says here, strengthen your brothers. Now he says, your faith is weak. That's really what's coming along here. But when you come to the point of repentance, you can help others. And you can tell them how you were changed by the Lord. You can tell them exactly what happened to you at this point, Simon. That is the idea. When you strengthen somebody, you come alongside them. And you can tell them what your experience was. Go shoulder to shoulder with them. When their faith is weak, you strengthen their faith. That's a lesson for all of us, isn't it? When we examine ourselves, then go strengthen others, encourage others. Now we come to verse 33. And this 
verse we call overconfidence and denial. But he said to him, this is Peter speaking or Simon speaking, Lord with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. How bold he was. With you, I'm ready to do that. But he said to him, Lord with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. With you. And uh, so much it is that he's right on that. As long as you're, you're here, Lord, I can endure this. I can... Whatever happens to you, I, I can do it too. I'll go to prison and death. He doesn't know what he's saying, does he? He was foolish in his own confidence, his own commitment to the Lord that he had, but yet he was foolish in this. And he contradicts Jesus' own words. Jesus has already told him what's going to happen, and there he is contradicting him again as he's done before. Peter's like saying, hey, others may fail, but I will never fail. I'll be right there with you, Lord. As long as you're there with you, I can be right there. I'm strong. I'm strong when I'm with you. Well, that's, that's true. Uh, verse 34, and he said, I say to you, Peter... And so he called him Simon earlier. Now it's Peter. After we see that Peter is going to fail, calls him Peter the Rock. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, he's a rock. Peter, you are a rock only when you rely on me and not on yourself. Right now you're still relying on yourself. You think you're a rock in yourself. But Peter, you're about to fail. That is humbling. That's what we see. Jesus said, and He said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know Me. The cock crow. This is our last verse. As we get ready to wind this down. Everybody's familiar with the story. The cock crow was uh, really announcing the morning. The Romans, as far as their armies, their guard was concerned, they'd have four watches throughout the night. Guard watches. Four segments. This happened to be the third segment. It was called the cock crow. <clears throat> cock crow and it was associated with the crowing of a cock, obviously. Uh, and what's, what's he doing? Well, he's announcing that it's morning. It's almost morning. It's still dark, but it's the dawning that is getting ready to come. Almost light. It's darkness before dawn. He says, just before the light comes out of the morning, this evening is what you, what's going to happen. You're going to do this. And you're going to fail. But, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. I've let Satan do what he asked. But i prayed for you. You're going to deny the Lord three times. That's an incredible fail. He did defect. He did deny the Lord. But his faith, get this, did not fail. Why didn't it? Because Jesus prayed for him that his faith would not fail. That's why. Otherwise, he would have done the same thing as Judas did. Here's one that is of the Lord. Jesus prays for him. He does that for all believers. Think about it. 
Peter was found later at the tomb after the resurrection. Looks into the tomb. Jesus was not there. Later on that night, he was with the rest of the disciples as they met. And Jesus appeared there. And in John 21, beautiful chapter there, Jesus restores Peter to his ministry. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of them, Jesus says each time. Feed my sheep. What a ministry. Strengthen my sheep. Take the gospel to the lost. The whole idea there is there is restoration that has happened. Jesus prayed. Prayed for one who denied Him. What a great, gracious, merciful God we have. We say as we come to the end here, when we come to the end of ourselves, sometimes that can happen. We can recognize that we can't do anything about it. We're totally helpless. We can't do anything to even save ourselves. It's God Himself that does it. We need to call out to Christ constantly. We know that He saves us. He keeps us saved. He's the Good Shepherd. He laid down His life for His sheep. Laid down His life for His brethren. Confess our sins. Confess our failures to Him. That's saying that we're agreeing with Him, that we have sinned against Him. We confess that. We cry out to Him. We cry out to Him, forgive us of our sins. We fail. We sin. But isn't this great good news? And whenever we do that, He is faithful. And He gives an experience to us of an abundant grace. And it's ever before us, this forgiveness of sin. And that was done at the cross. And it continues on in our lives as Christ intercedes for us. We thank the Lord abundantly for that great grace. Let's pray. Father, You, being the holy God You are, a God of forgiveness, a God of grace, and as we have looked at this passage that's dealing with Simon, it gives us all the same kind of hope whenever we are in a situation where we have gotten ourselves into that seems hopeless, and yet all the hope is found in Your truth, in Your promises, in Your Word. We need to seek You constantly and seek You in Your Word and to come to You before the throne of God confessing, believing, and trusting in You. Thank You, Lord, for this day that we've been able to worship You in spirit and in truth. Thank You for this Word and may it ever be edifying to us. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys for tuning in.
and we hope to see you next time. All the glory to our great God.